The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. Matthew chapter 9 and verse uh, 14. The word of the Lord says this, Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. This is the word of the Lord, and I pray you receive it as much this morning. In uh, 2015, CNN reported that the average American adult who is employed full-time works now 47 hours per week. That number continues to rise. That is almost 2,500 hours per year. Barna Research reported in 2014 that the average American Christian watches 3.1 hours of television per day, totaling just over 1,100 hours per year. And you add to that the incalculable time that most Christians spend on social media and their cell phones in general. And I believe that you and I can get a sense of why there is not a real yearning for God in the American church today. And here it is. We are stuffed with the bread of this world. There is nothing fundamentally wrong with working. As, as a matter of fact, I wish more people in this country would, would do that. Uh, that's a positive thing to work. The Bible uh, implores us to work. And there's not even anything intrinsically wrong with watching television or being on your cell phone or, or partaking in social media, depending on what you're saying and what you're watching and viewing. But here's the issue. It's, it's like everything else. The problem in our culture is this. We tend to overindulge, don't we, on everything. And this is one of the reasons I believe that fasting is so helpful to the church today it assists us in putting our life in perspective. It helps us to realize again what is really important. And here's what I mean. You remember when Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights as recorded in Matthew chapter 4? And he was led then into the wilderness by the Spirit of God to be tempted by the devil. And naturally, the scripture says he was hungry. Now, the devil tempted him to command the stones to become bread. And Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8, and he says this, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So fasting for us, I believe, is a great reminder that we do not live on bread alone. 
But our great need is for God himself. That's our greatest need. See, our greatest yearning shouldn't be the uh, for the bread of Olive Garden, but rather for the bread of heaven. There's nothing wrong with the bread of this world. God's given us the, the bread of this world. And I don't mean just literally bread, but I'm talking about all of his creation. We're to enjoy those things. But we're not to overindulge. Those things are meant to point us on to something much greater, namely God himself. And so last week our text was Matthew chapter 6. And we went back to the basics looking again at the fundamentals of prayer. And this morning I want to teach on the fundamentals of fasting. Now in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is continuing to advance his messianic kingdom. Showing undeniable evidence that he is in fact the Messiah. That he is the Son of God. And in verse 14 of this chapter we read that the committed followers of John the Baptist approach Jesus. And they ask him, Jesus, why do your disciples not fast? These men, John the Baptist's disciples, they are notorious for fasting And then they mention the the disciples of the Pharisees who are being trained for the brotherhood. They are uh, just really religious about fasting. And so they ask genuinely this question. Jesus, why is it that we don't see your disciples fasting? We find a massive claim in Jesus' answer. Don't blow past this without really considering it. Look at verse 15. Here's Jesus' answer. He answers the question with a question. He says, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Now, in the Old Testament, God is portrayed as the husband of his people. Look at Isaiah 62, verse 5. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices, here it is, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. And then Hosea 2, 19, and I will betroth you, says the Lord, to me forever. He's talking to his people. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. And I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know The Lord. Jesus now alludes to himself as the bridegroom who in the Old Testament is clearly God. Do you get the massive claim here? Jesus is revealing yet again his deity. That he is not just a prophet. He is not just a rabbi or a good teacher. Friends, Jesus is Lord. He is God. Amen? It's interesting, you can go here later to John chapter 3 and you'll find that John the Baptist himself identifies Jesus as the bridegroom. Let's look at this verse again. So Jesus identifying as this, he says, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with him? What does this have to do with fasting? Well, according to Dr. Craig Keener, he's a, a professor at Asbury. He says that wedding feast in this day could involve up to seven days of festivities. And this was a time of great joy. A person was actually not permitted to fast 
nor to engage in other acts of mourning, nor in difficult labor during this celebration. And this resonates with us today because weddings are still most of the time a time of celebration with at least two evenings of feasting. We have what we call the rehearsal dinner. This is where the wedding party gets together and celebrate what's a, celebrates what's about to happen. And then we have the reception following the wedding where all the wedding guests are invited to, to dine. And so Jesus is saying... The bridegroom's here. There's no reason to fast. This is a time of celebration for his disciples. Now, I want to just come clean with you this morning. Can I do that? I had originally planned to do our Daniel fast the first three weeks of January. But our former associate pastor, Chris Morris, decided to get married. And I changed the dates of the fast Honestly, only to accommodate the wedding as we had several people of our church who were making the trek to Colorado to celebrate. And it would have been honestly absurd to fast, to go without food during these wedding festivities. This was a week long of celebration and we ate and we ate and we ate. We celebrated. Well, the arrival of Jesus, the promised Messiah and his ushering in of the kingdom of God is a great time of rejoicing. That's his point. I'm with the disciples. This is like a wedding feast. I'm here. I'm present. There's no reason to fast. This is a season of feasting. But here's what's interesting. Jesus says there would come a time when his disciples would fast. Look again at verse 15, the second part of it. The days will come. When the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. Church, here's what this tells me. That fasting is not just for the people of the old covenant. It's not just for the Old Testament. But fasting is appropriate for Christians. All right. Now, let me clarify this. The New Testament never explicitly commands believers to fast. But we do have an explicit command to pray over and over. We have that command. Pray. We have to pray. But never are we consistently or explicitly asked to fast, commanded to fast. However, I'm really struck by Jesus' words in in this text and in Matthew chapter 6 in his assumption that his followers will fast. Notice this with me. Go with me to Matthew chapter 6. He says in verse 16, and when, notice he says when, not if. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. He says, truly, I say to you that they have received their reward. Here it is again. But when you fast... Anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And I'll unpack this a little bit in a moment. But what I want you to see is that it's clear in the New Testament that fasting is at least appropriate for Christians. And you can look at Matthew chapter 9 and Matthew chapter 6 and realize that Jesus assumes that his followers will fast. But here's what we find in the New Testament, especially in Matthew chapter 9. 
that New Testament fasting will look different than the fasting of the old day, of the old covenant, of the religious system of that day. Jesus gives us two examples from everyday life to illustrate, catch this, He did not come to bring reform to the old way of relating to God through the law. He didn't come to bring reformation. He came to bring transformation. He came to usher in a new covenant, a new way altogether of relating to God. And so he illustrates this first by talking about an unshrunk cloth. And here's the gist of what he's saying. You do not patch a tear in clothing with new material. Why? Because when you wash new material, what happens? It tends to shrink and it would pull away from the tear, causing the clothing to rip even more. Here's what I think the point is. Christ did not come to patch up the law. He came to fulfill it. He didn't come to patch up that religious system that the Pharisees so loved. Friends, He came to fulfill the law and give us all new garments. Amen? He came to give us new garments all together. And then he gives us this other illustration about wine skins. Now, wine was kept in animal skins, often goat skins. Sometimes two or three would be sewn together. And old wine skins were stretched to capacity as the wine inside would begin to ferment and gases were released. Now, if you were to put new wine in old, already stretched wineskins, through the fermentation process, the skins would stretch even more and eventually they would burst. And one of the main points here that I see is that we cannot mix law and grace. We cannot mix old covenant and new covenant. Jesus is not just adding to the old covenant, but he came to fulfill it again and to bring us a new and better covenant. The new wine of his presence and the outpouring of his spirit where now his law is not given to us on tablets, but it's written on the tablets of our hearts. Amen. So how does this all relate to fasting? The Pharisees had become, see, very legalistic about fasting like they did with many things. Under the law, only one yearly fast was required. And that happened on the Day of Atonement. But the Pharisees, like they often did, added to the law. And it's likely that most of them fasted religiously twice a week as part of their tradition. And we find a very braggadocious Pharisee in Luke 18 and verse 12. He says this, bragging about himself, comparing himself to less religious people. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all I get. He's bragging. But this fasting, see, was not pleasing to the Lord. Why? Because it was done out of tradition and it was done out of legalism, not out of hearts that were after God. There's a big difference. See, the new wine of Christ's presence, his coming to earth and dying and being raised from the dead demands a new kind of fasting that isn't done out of religiosity, but instead out of hearts that yearn to know Christ more. That's why we've been fasting, not out of tradition, but my desire, I hope your desire is for more of the Lord. What does this new way of fasting look like? The New Testament says very little 
about fasting. And if you'll come back Wednesday night, I'll tell you why the King James Version says a little more than the ESV does. All right, so you're going to have to show up to hear that. But the the New Testament says very little about fasting. But I do want to look at a few scriptures here to help us grasp the essentials of fasting. This important subject. Here we go. Number one, you write this down in your notes. Normal fasting means going completely without food for spiritual purposes. All right, now this may be very basic and obvious to many of you, but I I don't want to assume anything. Fasting, when we talk about fasting from a biblical perspective, normal fasting means going completely without food. And this is really important for spiritual purposes. Because you know fasting is a craze right now. People are doing it for all kinds of reasons, especially health reasons. But biblical fasting, if you want spiritual results, you've got to do it for spiritual purposes. Matthew 4, 2 says, again, going back to Jesus fast, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he, Jesus, was hungry. Well, why was he hungry? Because fasting is going without food. And this is the case in the Old Testament as well. So biblically, that's what fasting looks like. However, we know that as the Lord leads us, we can give up other things as well. For instance, if you go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7... We see one example of this. Paul, writing to the church of Corinth, says this. He's speaking about husbands and wives. And he says, do not deprive one another. He's talking sexually here. Except, perhaps by agreement, for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. And there's one of the places, if you have a King James or New King James, it says prayer and fasting. Come back Wednesday and I'll tell you why. But then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And I won't unpack that verse today. But what I want you to see is, is Paul is saying it's all right for a season to give up marital relationship to devote yourself to prayer. That would be a sense, in a sense, fasting. Okay, but with that in mind, here's here's where I want to go. I think. That you can fast or give up other pleasures besides food for spiritual purposes. For instance, this is real practical. We had some people during our Daniel fast who said, hey, I want to give up. uh, I want to give up my cell phone and social media for this time. And I think that's a tremendous thing to fast. I think that would be good to do. On a weekly basis, take some time and put the uh, cell phone away or, you know, delete Facebook off your cell phone for a period. You'll be all right. You will survive. I want to know, if you did that these last few weeks, did you find yourself just constantly grabbing for your cell phone still? It's just a habit, isn't it? It's just a habit. I know several people did that. The Daniel fast that we've uh, kind of uh, partaken of over the last 21 days is not a true full fast. We call it a partial fast. Because again, when we're talking biblically about fasting, we mean going completely without food. But one of the things I love about the Daniel fast is it, it, it allows us, there's some sacrifice there, but it uh, kind of allows us to do a longer fast and still be able to work and function, but there still is definitely sacrifice there. So though we can fast in many different ways, the main way to fast biblically is to go completely without food for a certain amount of time. Now, 
Here's what I would suggest. Even though it's not explicitly commanded in Scripture for us to do so. Again, Jesus assumes that we will. It's a great spiritual discipline. So let me give you just some real practical ideas on how you can make this happen. You don't have to lock yourself in a room for three days and do nothing but pray. That's difficult in, in life in the way it is right now. Now, if God leads you to do that, so be it. But here's what you could do. What if on a weekly basis you took one day and you just went without lunch and you took your lunch hour and you went into the conference room at work or you went into a bedroom if you're at home or wherever it might be and you just committed instead of eating lunch, you just prayed and you didn't eat again till dinner that night. Now, there needs to be some sacrifice here. Don't be like, you know what? I, I uh, sacrificed my third breakfast today. You know, usually I ate three, only ate two breakfasts today. So you went like 23 minutes without eating. All right. There needs to be some sacrifice here. Come on, somebody. I know how you think. So that's that's the way. Or you could maybe quarterly take one day and fast and pray. And this needs to be uh, spontaneous at times. Where you just seek the Lord in prayer and fasting. So that's. Fundamentally, what fasting is, it is going without food. And I encourage you to do that as the Lord would lead you. Number two, fasting is to be done with right motives. Fasting is to be done with right motives. I love this. I had a uh, lady come to me in our church, dear lady. And uh, she wasn't fasting the first two weeks. As a matter of fact, she asked me to bring her a pizza, my favorite food, and drive it here in my car while I'm on a Daniel fast. And I did it because I love her. But she's lucky I didn't cut her when I got here because I was hangry. I'm just saying. But she she uh, said to me, I came in once. She said, hey, I want you to know I'm going to fast this week, the last week of the fast. I said, oh, great, great. And then she came back to me. She said, you know what? I changed my mind. I said, you did. She said, yeah, I was just doing it because everybody else was doing it. I, I don't I don't feel like it's something I need to do right now. And I said, I am so glad to hear you say that. Not that you're not fasting. I'm going to pray for you for that. But, but I said, no, I, I said, listen, if you're not going to fast for the right reasons and devote yourself to prayer, friends, you might as well just eat it up because you, you know, you are, you are not fasting for the right reasons and you will see no spiritual return. You know what you are? Hungry. That's it. There's your reward, hunger. So we've got to fast for right reasons. Now, I read Matthew 6, 16 through 18. And here's what you need to know. The religious hypocrites fasted just to look spiritual and to gain the applause of men. And they would kind of uh, try to have that down face and, 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 oh, you know, their countenance would change. And, oh, I'm just so weak and so hungry, just so spiritual. What were they after? The applause of men. So Jesus implores us to fast in secret, which brings us to this question that some of you are asking right now. So why would you ask us to fast corporately, right? Is the fast that's called by the pastor unbiblical? And I would say emphatically, no, that's not unbiblical. Because we see corporate fasting at least two times in the book of Acts. And last week we dealt with this same issue when we talked about prayer. Jesus says that we're to pray in secret, go into that secret place. But we know that we're called to pray corporately as well because we see that in the scripture. And here's what we determined. Don't do in 
public what you're not willing to do in private. In other words, if you don't pray at home, don't show up to church and try to act spiritual. But if you are a prayer warrior, join with us in corporate prayer. And so it's the same with fasting. If your heart's not right, if this isn't your desire to to seek God and to hear the voice of God and to worship God, don't do it. If, If your heart's not in it, don't do it to make yourself look spiritual. And I really, I mean this, this person who came to me, I so appreciate her. She's a dear woman of God. For her honesty and to say, I don't want to be a hypocrite. And I, I believe this when this person, when the Lord speaks to her heart and leads her to fast, I believe she's going to do it. And I'm going to make her deliver me a pizza. <laughs> so fasting is to be done with right motives. Number three, fasting is to be coupled with prayer. Fasting is to be coupled with prayer. In Matthew chapter six, Jesus moves right from prayer into fasting. And I believe there's a great connection there. Fasting and prayer go together. We see this in Luke 2.37. This is about Anna, this 81-year-old or 84-year-old widow. It says she did not depart from the temple. Now watch this. Worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Oh God, give us some Anna's. Who would just worship you and, and just come to the house of God and pray and fast. Acts 14.23, we see this same connection. And when they had appointed elders from for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And here's all I want to say. When we fast, it is imperative that we spend time in prayer. So when you feel those hunger pangs, that's a good cue. I need to pray. It's a reminder. It's like an alarm clock when you're fasting. Pray, pray, pray. So I would encourage you, if you uh, fast more religiously or, or, or just consistently, I really encourage you, if it's at lunchtime you're fasting, take that lunch hour and pray. There's a great connection between fasting and prayer. And here's what I just know from experience. That when you, two things, let me give you two things. When you commit to fast, two things are going to happen. One, so many people are going to cook your favorite meals. I remember I I just decided to do a pretty long fast in in, in Lexington. I was there at True Life Church. And uh, Heather and, and, and Jeff, you may remember this, but um, we, we had a big motorcycle gathering at the church. And, and I drove my motorcycle up to the church. It was a Sunday morning, and I could smell the barbecue from a mile away. That was my first day of fasting. But my pastor, I was an associate pastor, my lead pastor wasn't as spiritual. And uh, he decided instead of fasting, he's going to cook this big, uh, you, you know, he's going to have this big barbecue and, and, and all, all this, you know, and you could just smell it. And then that same day, if I remember correctly, my mom said, Chris, I'm making your favorite dish. Fried chicken and mashed potatoes with white gravy. Come on, somebody. I'll preach. All right. But I know this. Every temptation will come your way to make you want to eat and break that commitment. Don't do it. There's a second temptation that will come. The enemy doesn't care that you're going hungry. But he gets real nervous when you begin to pray. Because prayer moves mountains. Come on somebody. 
When you begin to cry out for your city, the devil doesn't like it when you're crying out for Richmond or Berea, wherever you're from, in fasting and prayer. Because there's power when we fast and pray. And so what will he do? We'll begin to be distracted. He will distract us with everything. He doesn't mind that we're hungry, but he'll give us every reason in the world not to pray. If I have a church potluck, I will have to pull out tables to make room. If I have a church prayer meeting, you could hear a cricket in this place. Because the enemy loves to distract us from praying. So I want you to know, if you and when you, I should say, fast, as the Spirit would lead you, just determine yourself to pray. Be determined to pray. Don't let anything move you from praying. Turn off your phone where you can't be interrupted. I had to do that several times over these last three weeks. Just turn your phone off and make committed times for prayer. Get up early if you have to and pray. But prayer must accompany biblical fasting. Number four, I just want to go over the reasons that Christians should fast. Why should we fast? Number one is this. Just an expression of worship. Acts 13, 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. See the connection? That's the same connection we just saw in Luke chapter 2 with Anna. The Holy Spirit said, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Prayer and fasting, see, should be done sometimes just out of pure worship. An expression of our longing for Jesus, our love for him. It shouldn't always be, I need a miracle. Now, when you need a miracle, I encourage you to pray and fast. But there ought to be times when we just pray and seek the Lord because we love Him. We, we ought to fast and seek the Lord just because we love Him. And this is a, an expression of worship. And I want, you, I want to point out something. As they're worshiping God and, and they're praying and fasting, watch what happens here. See in Acts 13 too, it says, The Holy Spirit said... You know, when you are hungry, your senses are raised. You're just looking for something to kill to eat, right? That's the hunter inside of you. Listen, your senses are raised. You can hear better. You can smell pie from a mile off. I'm telling you, your senses are raised. I just read an article in the New York Times uh, just this last week. It was an older article. Came upon it by accident. And it was, it was saying that we actually learn better when we're hungry. It was saying this, this writer was saying that we, we tend to overeat when we're about to take a big test and carb up. But you can't learn as well, they say, according to this, whatever study they were referring to, you can't learn as well if you're overloaded on those carbs. So if you have a little bit of hunger in you, I mean, if you're not completely satisfied, I don't know if you would learn if you're, I mean, just starving. But I think if there's a little hunger there, I think your senses are raised. And you're able to take things in a little better. And just from experience, and I think what we see clearly in the scripture here, when we pray and fast, could it be that we're better able to hear the voice of God? 
When we're stuffed with the things of this world, sometimes his voice gets mixed with the chaos of our lives and the clutter and the bread of this world. And we can't distinguish it from anything else. Anybody else speaking or we don't know if that was the, the pizza we ate last night speaking to us or if it was Jesus. So I just believe you want to hear the voice of the Lord. Number one, open the Bible. That's how you'll hear it first and foremost. But if you really want direction for your life as you're reading the scriptures, fast and pray. So we worship or we fast, number one, for worship. Secondly, we should always fast for a preparation for ministry. A preparation for ministry. Acts 13, 3 says this, Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them, Paul and Barnabas, and sent them off. Acts 14, 23, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. I think a great way to start off any ministry endeavor is to do so with prayer and fasting. I don't think it's any accident that the onset of Celebrate Recovery, that we are committed to prayer and fasting. That's a good thing to do. And if God has birthed within you some ministry, maybe even a job, because everything in your life that God puts before you is actually, in a sense, ministry. If you're you're starting a new secular job, He's sending you there to be a light to a dark place. So you ought to begin that with prayer and fasting. We ought to send you off. I think we ought to be better about doing this. And pray for effective ministry. So that's another reason to fast. Number three, maybe paramount, that is this, that we fast as a reminder of what is most important. Fasting can be a great reminder that we do not live, I'm going to be a little bit redundant here, that we do not live on the bread of this world alone. That our greatest need, listen to me, is for the bread of heaven. Your greatest need is not that new vehicle or a shopping spree or a new job or a husband or wife even or a child. Your greatest need, greatest need is God. Those things are special maybe in, all, in their own way. Or, but that's not your, none of those things are your greatest need. Your greatest need and my greatest need is for God himself. And this is one of the main ways that Christian fasting is different from the Old Testament The Old Testament reason for fasting was connected, if you go back and study this, often with mourning over sins, grieving over sins, and or an anticipation for God's deliverance. That's what fasting was for in the Old Testament. But it's different in the New Testament. We do not mourn any longer over our sins in that same way. We're sorry for them, but we do not mourn over our sin in the same way they did in the Old Testament. We don't have to put on sackcloth and tear our clothing. Why? Because our sin has been paid for. Hallelujah. Our sins have been covered. We don't walk in shame any longer if in fact we are in Christ. So what do we do when we sin? 
Do we fall on our faces and tear our clothes and put on sackcloth? No. First John 1 time, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 Corinthians 6.11 But you were washed. You were sanctified, set apart. You were justified, made right with God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We fast with that knowledge. We fast with the knowledge of the bridegroom's finished work on the cross and His resurrection. So the mourning that we now experience is not the same as the Old Testament. It's not that we're grieving over our sins and begging God for deliverance. He has defeated death, hell, and the grave. Our mourning is different. What is it? It's a longing. It's a longing. What is it a longing for? It's a longing for Jesus. Jesus said, as long as my disciples are with me, as long as I'm here physically with them, there's no reason to fast. This is a celebration, but there's coming a day when I will be taken from them. We know not only was he crucified and then raised, but he's also now ascended into heaven and he's now sitting at the right hand of the father. And so there's a longing. Now we have his Holy Spirit. He didn't leave us alone. We have His Spirit. We have the Comforter. And right now, because of that, we have what we call a foretaste of God's kingdom. We have a foretaste of His presence. But friends, this is nothing. Nothing compared to when we experience the consummation of His kingdom. When He returns. And we know Him in fullness. We know what it is to look upon Him and know His glory in completeness. And so here's what we're doing. Why is it when he ascends that now we go back to fasting? Because there is a mourning within us. Not a grief that's overpowering us, but there's a longing. You see this throughout the New Testament. The the, the first century church longed for his appearing. And I'm afraid that we don't long for him in this way anymore. Why? I'll say it again, because we're full on the bread of this world. We're way too comfortable and we never, we never are looking for Jesus. Rarely do we think about him coming. Rarely do we hear that conversation. Oh, it could be today. Why? We're just comfortable. So fasting can be, I believe, an expression and a reminder of our longing for the return of Jesus. And at the end of this fast... We pray, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Are you longing for that day? That's who he's coming for. The people who are longing. That's what true faith looks like. It's one of the evidences of true faith. Those who are longing for his appearing. My hope is that through this partial fast over the last three three weeks, that your affections have been raised for Jesus. And that you are longing for his appearing and that you've been reminded again. Here's the good reminder when you fast. This world is not my home. I'm not ultimately a citizen of America. And we get sucked into the political fighting and everything that's going on in the news. Forgetting that first and foremost and ultimately we're not citizens of this world, but our kingdom is in heaven. 
And when you fast and you feel those hunger pangs and you're spending committed time in prayer, you remember, I'm not to be about this world. I'm not to put on my political boxing gloves and I'm not to I'm not to engage in the luxuries of this world and be all about those things. Yes, I can enjoy God's creation. Don't misunderstand me. But that's not to be the longing of my heart. I'm the long for heaven. The, The scripture says, set your mind on the things above. Set your mind on the things above and you go back to that. Those first numbers that I gave you with 2,500 hours a year being spent at work. 1,100 hours a year being spent in television, which is a conservative figure. And all the social media time and all the news time and all the political garbage that we involve ourselves with. And that leaves little time for the main thing. Just he needs to be first. So I encourage you, friends. Pray and and, and take part as the Lord would lead you in this spiritual discipline of fasting. Because we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org. 